Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and this week's episode was supposed to be the September Needless Commentary, but unfortunately, we are down a couple of members of the team, and as has happened in September's in the past, uh, usually because of Dragon Con this year, because of the world being completely insane, uh, we may just not have a September commentary, but we will uh, plan to be back in October. Uh, excuse me, obviously with some horror business. We'll we'll see how September goes. We're kind of waiting for word on that. Uh, pardon me, I needed a little sip of water. It's the middle of the day, and I'm a bit dry. So. Instead, uh, I decided to do a last-minute Q&A because I couldn't really get a topic together in time for the episode. And it's funny because shortly after I made the decision to do a Q&A, a great idea for an episode popped into my head. And we're going to be recording that Sunday night with Mike Gordon and Bobby Nash. And that is going to be awesome, and that should be next week's episode, unless at the last minute... Uh, we end up being able to do a commentary. We will we will stay on top of that, and of course, keep you posted via social media. Join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Answer the three questions to join, uh, and follow Needless Things Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. I think Twitter is something weird, like needless things underscore we barely even use twitter i'll be honest uh so anyway before we get to the questions provided by you our lovely audience we have a little bit of news it seems like these days we're forever being promised things and only occasionally receiving them uh so trailers are always a big piece of the conversation uh, today, I'm recording this on September the 15th, uh, we got a new trailer for Mandalorian Season 2. Well, I, I guess technically it's the trailer before we had some sort of teaser, I think. Uh, but this was a full trailer that really was still a teaser. It was a couple of minutes of just awesome images. Uh, we got the bones of the story for the second season, which is... The Weaponeer, I can't remember what she's called exactly, but she tells uh, Mando that his job is to seek out the ancient sorcerers that the Mandalorians once feuded with, known as the Jedi. And once again, we get that uh, kind of funny thing where Star Wars refers to something from just a few years ago as ancient, but I, I love that we're keeping up with that. Uh so she tells him to take the child, the Yoda baby, whatever you want to call him, the, the cutest creature ever committed to film, uh, or, or to digital, I guess it would be, uh, to the Jedi. So we know that Mando is going to be seeking out the Jedi in order to find answers about the child. Now, whether or not he will actually return the child to the Jedi remains to be seen. Whether or not uh, he will actually accomplish his goal 
this season remains to be seen. Uh, and I love that so many questions were left unanswered. As a matter of fact, uh, while it did answer the big question of what this season is going to be about, uh, it it really created more questions like, what is this boxing ring? Uh, are they going to be fighting in the, oh gosh, what is it called? Um, Masters of Terras Kasai? Is Terras Kasai, is that the made-up martial art from Star Wars? I, I hadn't planned on just, uh, as always, uh, if I don't have something exactly right, it's because all of a sudden it popped up in the back of my head and I didn't have a chance to go look it up, and I'm too old to just remember all of the pop culture bullshit that I used to know. But I believe that's it, uh, Terras Kasai. I hope we get an, an actual mention of that uh, in the, the season, or a reference to it anyway. So Mando goes to some kind of crazy fight, talks to a Cyclops uh, who looks awesome and ends up having to kill a bunch of people. And, and right as he's lighting up his uh, flying sparrows, whatever those little incendiary devices that shoot out of his gauntlet are called, uh, the child looks over, sees it, and closes up his little uh, his little pod. Uh, that That's a great moment. It's full of just awesome Star Wars stuff. I needed it today. Um and it brightened my day. I can't wait for this season. Coming October 30th on Disney+. And the cool thing is, like, this actually worked out because people last year were like, We're, we need to buy as much Yoda Baby stuff as we possibly can. We need stuffed animals, vinyl figures, pops. We need all of these things. Where are they? Why can't you give them to us now? And because that's not how uh, production works. you got to give it a little bit of time. So now we've had a little bit of time. You can't walk into a store and swing a stick without hitting the Baby Yoda plush or something. And uh, it's, second season is going to launch. Demand is going to go back up. And right around the holiday season, there's going to be plenty of Yoda Baby to go around for everyone. Uh, so that's it just worked out. Sometimes these things work out. Uh, another trailer I'd like to mention is the trailer for... Oh, here, here comes me butchering something... Dennis Villanueva's Dune, uh, which I, okay, at a base level, I don't care about. I've never read the books. I think I might have tried to read one of the Dune books, probably the first Dune book, whatever it was. Uh, I know very, very little about Dune. I, I know, all I know is because it's a pop culture nerd thing, so I have absorbed some of it over the years. And I, I've watched the David Lynch film, and I think it's just this giant onerous task of of a movie uh but you know dune's just from what i've seen of it not my bag it seems like sad star wars if that makes sense and and that's me talking about it from afar uh but the trailer for this movie looks like an, an epic science fiction space opera cool thing it still seems kind of like sad star wars but the the trailer looks cool obviously lots of familiar faces which kind of wins the argument for well why are we casting all these big names in these movies cast some unknowns and get well like i get what you're saying but at the same time if this movie didn't have uh, batista and jason momoa and uh, all these other names that are recognized in it, then I definitely wouldn't care about it as much. But it does, so now I'm like, well, I'm, I'm at least going to watch this streaming, or if we can go back to movie theaters when it comes out, 
then I'll, I'll go check it out in the theater because it does look epic and grand and it does look like something that demands to be seen on the big screen so uh i'm i'm into this it looks cool i'm down let's let's do it oh can that be the new the new uh promotional tag let's do it or no just do it there you go get a nike tie-in maybe these space people could wear nikes uh that'd be fine there'd be nothing wrong with that batman worm in 1989 just calm down it's fine uh, all right, and the final piece of news is a little bit of merchandise toy news. The Barnyard Commandos revival being produced by Megalopolis Toys. And they're, hang on, i got to pull the page back up because I can't remember what they're, oh, Premium DNA. Uh, Premium DNA series from Megalopolis Toys. Now, uh, most of, some of you, all of you, some of you may know that I had a little issue with Megalopolis Toys last year. I was not impressed with their toy selling service, but you uh, undoubtedly also know that I have pre-ordered the Mad Balls that are coming from their premium DNA uh, brand because they're Mad Balls. I have to buy them. So even though I wasn't a really big fan of this retailer... I gotta have these Mad Balls figures, so I ordered them, and I will keep you guys posted on how this whole process goes. And the Mad Balls pre-sale or pre-orders ended on the fifteenth when the Barnyard Commandos pre-order launched, uh, which it is active now, and I believe it's active for a month, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, let's see here. Pre-order for spring 2021 release. Uh, it has all four figures listed in a weird... Uh, let's see here. Uh, they are considered to be 112th scale figures, stand around 5 inches tall. Series 1 is Sergeant Wooly Pullover, Major Legger Mutton, Private Sido Bacon, and Corporal High Ondahog. Ouch. Oof. Uh, the Rebel Army of Militant Sheep, R-A-M-S, and the Platoon of Rebel Killer Swine, P-O-R-K-S, are at it again, and this time they are highly articulated, highly detailed, and ready to fight for the farm. Uh, these are all designed by legendary James Groman. Uh, and they look great. Look, I'm not going to lie. They look awesome. They are fully articulated. If you remember Barnyard Commandos, they were just kind of PVC figures. Uh, but these have joints at the shoulders, elbows, wrists, ankles. Uh, looks like the sheep has a little woolly tail that maybe moves around the head. Um, and they can, some of them uh, fight on all fours. Some of them stand upright. Uh, it's an Orwellian nightmare. But they look awesome. If you're into these, go check out. Uh, Megalopolis Toys or just Google Premium DNA Barnyard Commandos. You'll you'll find them. I think these look incredible. I was never into Barnyard Commandos, and I'm I'm into so much stuff right now that I'm not going to add these to the list. If they had done Food Fighters instead, I might be more into that. Maybe I don't know uh, because I've also just dipped into the Ultimate Thundercats from Super Seven. So. Oof, you guys, it's a little expensive to be a toy fan right now. But go check out those Barnyard Commandos. At least give the pictures a look because they, they are hilarious and gritty. And uh, I, I love them, but I just can't uh, get invested in another thing right now. So there you go. That is this week's news. 
And speaking of toy retailers, before we get on into that Q&A, one thing I want to mention, uh, I had, I, I told you guys that I finally decided that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimates from Super 7 were something that I had to have. Uh, it's, it's that original TMNT toy line is precious to me. It's one of the big landmarks of my personal toy history. So I just... I had to have them, and I put up a review of the special Bug Zapper Blue Glow in the Dark Baxter Stockman that would have been a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. Uh, you can check that out on the Needless Things YouTube channel, along with tons of other reviews and unboxings. Next week, uh, well, I, okay, this week I put up a review of Super Shredder from NECA and storm shadow arctic mission storm shadow from the gi joe classified series so go check those out like them share them subscribe to the channel and next week or this coming week on the needless things youtube channel it is thundercats week where monday through thursday i will be opening up each of the first wave of super seven's thundercats ultimates figures uh, that is done now i haven't uh, got everything uploaded yet but they are completed and I'm thinking about Friday doing a special bonus episode where I sit down with all four figures and talk about a few things that maybe I overlooked while because it's it's weird doing these unboxing reviews where I'm reviewing them as I open them up because oftentimes because uh, I'll I'll you know once I stop recording because I, I want to keep these things under 20 minutes for the most part I, I like to keep them under 15 if I can. So once I'm done recording, I'm still sort of playing around with the figures and messing around with, and sometimes I'll go back and I'll see things that I missed or I'll, something will occur to me. Uh, and particularly with these four figures, I think there are a few extra things that are worth mentioning that I might sit down and record about 10, 15 more minutes about the wave as a whole, uh, for Friday, just to throw it up. I don't usually like to throw up more than one needless things per day, but this one will probably be worth it. And honestly, I don't know how much the YouTube audience and the podcast audience cross over. I'd be interested to know that, but I'm terrible at running this thing. So I don't know how stats work or uh, cross sell or promotion or any of that stuff. I just like to sit down and record. Uh, so now, uh, here is my, my little story about BigBadToyStore.com, who I think is the greatest toy retailer on the internet. Uh, if you don't know, they have a pile of loot system where you do your pre-order. Once the pre-order comes in, they charge you for it, and then it goes into your pile of loot. So you can have, if you know there are a number of things coming out in August, like for example, uh, there were a couple of things I was getting for Phantom Jr. There was the first wave of Ninja Turtles Ultimates, um, the Profits Distribution or dire Profits Director Destro from G.I. Joe Classified, a couple other things that I knew were all hitting in August. Uh, so I just waited until they all came in and then shipped them all at once to save on shipping. And shipping only ended up being like 20 bucks. And you guys, this box was gigantic. I could, uh, I could make myself a spaceship out of this box, just about. Like a Calvin and Hobbes style spaceship. Uh, and then, of course, the day after I shipped it, the Ninja Turtles came in. But uh, whatever, it's fine. Uh, and then there's a couple things coming in September. So I'm going to let them come in and I'll ship them all at once. Uh... So anyway, their pile of loot system is great. Uh, and you, I had FedEx delivering the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimates that came on their own. 
and FedEx yesterday left them in front of the house just out. I got I didn't get a notification of delivery, which I will say this for Big Bad Toy Store, I would like it if they would update cuz so many places now you get that notification when something is delivered. Matter of fact, I would say most places I order from um you know, pop culture merchandise stuff you get a notification when it ships, you get a notification when it's out for delivery, and then you get a notification when it's delivered. Uh, that would be nice for Big Bad to add to their process. So I didn't even know this thing had been delivered because last time I checked, it wasn't getting here until Thursday. So today, this is Tuesday the 15th, uh, I got a notification that something for next month is now in or so, something something else has come in. I'm like, okay, go look at my pile of loot. Oh, while I'm here, I'll check on the shipment. So it was delivered yesterday. They just left it in front of the house. It rained all day today. So big box sitting out in the rain. Fortunately, because of how carefully and thoroughly Big Bad package their stuff and ship it in heavy cardboard cartons, the turtles inside... Which, if they'd gotten kind of wet, uh, you know, it would have made for a little more of a gross unboxing video, I guess. But, you know, it's plastic. I dry it out. It would have been okay. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a packaging guy. I would have been very disappointed, but it wouldn't have been the end of the world. Uh, but fortunately, not even the mailer boxes that Super 7 puts their figures in, those those plain brown boxes, fortunately, not even those were wet. Uh, there was a bunch of water on the inner flaps of the box that was facing away from the house. Like I opened it from that side and water just dribbled out, but everything was wrapped tight in bubble wrap. Uh, the figure, the, the even, like I said, even the mailer boxes were dry. So bigbadtoystore.com, the best place to buy toys on the internet i should probably send them an email and be like hey guys do you want to do a little sponsor deal uh but i'm just i'll tell you i'm exhausted by the nose this year uh so i'm just gonna keep on putting them over and because i think it's good for you guys to know who the best is and they're the best uh and you've got a couple of different shipping options with them as well i don't use flat rate they've got four dollar flat rate shipping that takes forever so i i i'm I'm willing to go ahead and pay to get the FedEx that gets here in a few days. Uh, that flat rate shipping can take like two weeks, uh, which is is fine uh, if that's what you want to do. And look, it, it would have saved me a good chunk of change on that big giant box to do the $4 flat rate shipping. But they have multiple shipping options, so you can decide how much you want to spend and how fast you want to get your stuff. Uh, so anyway, that was my little story about Big Bad Toy Store, who I've been buying from for years and years and years now and who i think is absolutely wonderful now it is time to move on to the questions from you the phantomaniacs okay let's see here uh i'm gonna go straight into the questions actually i've got uh i've got one pulled up that's not even from my posts on social media because i posted in the needless things podcast facebook group which you guys should join if you haven't answer the three questions um just my regular feed on Facebook and then uh, on an Instagram as well. I, I didn't bother with Twitter because I just, like I said, I, don't, I barely use Twitter. It, it's annoying to me. Um, so the first question I'm going to get to is a little unfair to you guys who 
posted questions under my actual request for questions, but it's a it's a good one. Uh, our, our buddy Andrew Bones, who is a tremendous sculptor and fabricator, uh, makes really really cool art and also does a lot of stuff for props for for movies and shows and stuff. Uh, I posted a picture from my Super Shredder review. And he said, how do you get all these awesome toys? And my response was, do you mean financially or physically? Like, how do I afford them all? Or literally, how do I get my hands on them? And he said, both. And my answer to that was, financially, by slaving away for the man. Physically, by being on top of my game. And I, I guess that's really the answer. I mean, I've, I've had... Uh, I, th- I can't remember if I mentioned it last week or not. Because I, I didn't really see it as a particular point of joy but i've been at the job i'm at now for 15 years uh it is it's hell like when i was a little kid what i do now was what i had envisioned as hell but it's a choice i made it's paying me uh more than any other job would it takes care of my family we we don't uh you know i'm not saying we're living in a mansion high on the hill or anything like that but we we don't you know, I'm able to take care of my family in a very comfortable way, and and as you guys can see, if you follow me, I'm I'm able to support my ridiculous toy habit uh, pretty comfortably. So, you know, it's a trade-off. Everything in life is a balancing act. So I balance uh, the 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 horror and misery of that day job with the fact that it affords me the luxury of you know, doing this podcast, doing the YouTube stuff, uh, going to Dragon Con every year and having a great time, buying all these toys, uh, you know, it, it, it is a balancing act. So, like, that uh, literal torture, well, not literal torture, I don't guess, but, but yeah, kind of, uh, is worth it for the rest of my life to be as enjoyable as it is. Because I, I'll tell you right now, the that's the only real problem i have i mean obviously house stuff comes up from time to time we've got to replace part of a floor now like that's life stuff i don't count that uh i don't count the unexpected uh but you know that that's really the only bad thing in my life is that shitty job everything else is pretty great so that's that's the balance right there you know what i mean like i could be uh you know if i'd chosen 20 years ago or whatever to chase my dreams whatever that might mean there'd be a different balance there so you know i've i've chosen what i've chosen and i've i've made my peace with it for the most part uh and then as far as just getting my hands on the toys it's just you know staying aware uh, excuse me staying aware of who's releasing what when it's coming out how it's going to be available being on top of pre-orders being on top of uh you know just everything it's I want to say it's easier in this day and age with the internet, but honestly, it's not. Uh, you know, getting the Cobra Island stuff for the GI Joe Classified series, the Target ex- uh, exclusive wave, has been a nightmare. I've I have never had as much struggle and difficulty trying to track toys down as I have with that damn special missions Cobra Island wave. And I mean, I've, I've got one of everything now. I still need, um, a Baroness set for my son. And honestly, he'd like a couple more Cobra troopers, but I believe we're going to be getting more of those in another forum. So I'm not going to sweat that too much. He's, he's got two. Uh, we each, we found them in a store after driving all fricking over Georgia one day, uh, 
we got a very, very nice lady. Everybody at Target's wonderful. I, I think I've mentioned that before. Uh, she brought out a whole case of six, and I, sh- I wish I had bought all six, but I didn't because I wanted to leave a couple for somebody else. So I got two, and, and my son got two, uh, and, and I got two more from our pal Rich at Nerdy Laser. And he still wants two more because four, we agree, four is kind of your troop builder standard. Uh, but yeah, that collecting those has just been such a, a hassle and, and such a annoyance. It hasn't been fun. And over the years, there have been very few times when there was no fun to be had by collecting a toy line. I think the last time I experienced even close to that level of frustration well there are a couple times and and i don't think it was as bad but also you know things fade into the past right now this annoyance is fresh and at the time maybe looking for these other things i'm going to mention was just as bad but i just don't remember it that way who knows or i eventually got them so it doesn't seem as bad uh but all of the 2002 masters of the universe uh, that line, just trying to collect that line was a nightmare, and it's one of the few lines that I completely gave up on. Now, I say completely gave up on, I mean at the time completely gave up on. Uh, later on, as the supporting characters became easier and, and less expensive to find, I filled out that collection, and there's still a few pieces I'm missing that I need to get on top of, but my interests, as you may have noticed lis- listening to this show for the past however many years I've been doing it, uh, six years, I guess, was this. This is episode 335, um, 335 divided by 52. I can't do that off the top of my head. What am I, Mathotor? I am not Mathotor. 335 divided by 52 equals six years. Look at that. I was close. Or I was uh, on the money, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so anyway... Uh, doing this for the past six years, you guys have probably noticed that my interests uh, are always consistent, but vary in their intensity. Like right now, I'm super deep into G.I. Joe. I've collected, which I'll get to on a later question, I've collected every G.I. Joe line that's come out, almost. Uh, So I've always been following G.I. Joe, but right now we happen to be in the midst of a boom of G.I. Joe, comparatively. So... uh, big into G.I. Joe now, trying to collect my vintage Joes. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I was really trying to get into Battle Beasts, and they turned out to be just more expensive than I was willing to deal with. So things come and uh, they never go. They they ebb and flow, my collector interests, I guess. Uh, so the other two lines, so the Masters of the Universe 2002 was very, very frustrating at the time, and I quit on it while it was still at retail because... You know, when people talk about how bad that line was, they're not exaggerating. It was literally, you'd go in and see 12 Ice Armor He-Mans, 12 uh, Flying Fist He-Mans, wh- whatever else they made. There'd be like 12 of three different He-Man figures, two uh, uh, or uh, 12 of two different Skeletor figures, and that's literally it. And they'd all be trashed because they'd been sitting there for months, and you just wouldn't see the supporting characters ever. It was insanity. Uh, and I hope we're not seeing the same thing now with the Origins line because I've ha- I had I finally got a hold of them, but had a difficult time tracking down the supporting characters of the first wave. 
and you'll go into any store and see a dozen He-Man figures, and then a few Skeletors, which I know He-Man and Skeletor are coming in their own cases right now, uh, and then the there is another case lot that's a mix of the supporting characters, which is Tila, Evil Lynn, Man-at-Arms, and Beast-Man. But, you know, it's, right now, it feels exactly the same as what we dealt with in 2002. And then the other... Uh, the other thing that was very frustrating was the Mad Balls relaunch in 2005 or 6. 2000, I want to say 2005 because I know I was already with Mrs. Troublemaker at that point because she was helping me track these down. Uh, and you just they were just very, very difficult to find. Wave 2, Wave 1... Showed up a couple of times at Walmart, and I found them a couple of times at Toys R Us, and that was it, and then they were gone. Uh, and then Wave 2, and I'm not talking about the most recent Mad Balls that came out a couple of years ago. I'm talking about the 2005 that were sort of reproductions of the original Mad Balls. They were a little different, but they didn't deviate from the design as much as the most recent Mad Balls did. Uh, they were tough to find. In Wave 2, we were in Spencer Gifts, and checking out we were done we were walking out of the store and mrs troublemaker is like hey are those the mad balls and they're in a bin under the front of the register not even like pegged or anything just piled up in a bin and i was like whoa what and grabbed them all bought them and that's the only time i ever saw the second wave of those mad balls that was a very frustrating toy hunt as well uh, so I just answered like eight questions in one shot from a question that wasn't even part of my request for questions. That's the kind of bonus quality treatment you get here on the Needless Things podcast. Uh, okay. I am pulling up. I've got my notes for the questions that were already submitted. Uh, and I'm going to go look here one last time at the post I just put up earlier, about an hour ago, my last request. And James Palmer, 19 minutes ago, just threw in a question. What is your favorite toy line of all time? <laughs> See, my snap answer on that is G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Um, and nostalgia. Well, yeah, favorite. He said favorite. He didn't say what is the best toy line of all time. He said what is your favorite toy line of all time. And while there could be an argument to be made that G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, is, is also the best toy line of all time, uh, I'm very comfortable saying that that's my favorite. Um, and if you, too, are interested in G.I. Joe, please check out Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast, which is available uh, in, in the same... You guys know where it is. Uh, which I'm working now on making Audible Interlude its own feed... Uh, our pal Chad J. Shonk, who is one of the hosts of the Execute Chapter 66 Star Wars Fiction Podcast, has taken the step to make Execute Chapter 66 its own feed, which it needs to be. Uh, I, I want to figure out a way for any shows that are part of our family to be their own feed. Uh, I think that's the only way to sort of expand and get a better reach. Like, they deserve more listeners than just 
everybody who listens to this show. And I feel the same way about Audible Interlude. I need to get it on its own feed as well. I just got to figure out a financially feasible way to do that because uh, I'm going to tell you right now, this free entertainment I provide for you guys isn't about to cut into my Ninja Turtles money. Uh, But anyway, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, uh, favorite toy line of all time. Please check out Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Uh, All right, now it is time to shut that down, close that window, and move over to the uh, questions I have already taken a look at. And this is funny. This kind of lines right up with that one. Uh, our, our first official question from my notes from our pal Bob Burke, the Glowmania World Champion. Check out Bob Burke Art on Instagram. What do you think is the worst action figure line of all time? And it's funny you should ask that, Bob, because I think the worst action figure line of all time is G.I. Joe Extreme. Uh, now, and here's the you know I always kind of have to put a put a little note on something. Everybody, there there is I don't think there's any toy line that doesn't have fans. I'm sure there were people that GI Joe hit GI Joe Extreme hit at exactly the right time, who saw these figures, thought they were cool, and love G.I. Joe Extreme for one reason or another and maybe even hate those stupid uh, little tiny articulated figures that that have barely any sculpt or paint on them you know like it's I I don't want to come here and trash anybody for liking uh, anything but for me personally to say worst toy line of all time like I think we would have to have a panel of experts to determine what was actually the worst toy line of all time. But for me personally, the level of disappointment I felt over these figures with their five points of articulation, their way overdone uh, sculpt, their extreme 90s look, and, and they really... Nothing about this line says G.I. Joe. If you found one of these figures randomly excuse me, and you weren't familiar with it, you wouldn't immediately think this was a G.I. Joe line or it was a G.I. Joe figure. These launched in 1995, uh, and Hasbro, for some reason, put it out under the Kenner brand, which they had recently acquired. Uh, and they're just, they they kind of look like Spawn figures. And I'm trying to remember, I don't feel like I don't think McFarland had hit in 1995 apologize I hate doing research in front of you guys but sometimes there are questions or facts that I feel like need to be answered over the course of my rambling that I can't just leave up in the air okay so McFarland Toys was founded in 1994 which I guess is about right, because Image Comics was very early 90s. And the... Okay, that makes sense then. Wow, I didn't think... I didn't think that first wave of Spawn figures came out that early. I would have placed it like 96 or even 97, but that doesn't make any sense, because by the time 
I moved out of my parents' house, I already had a bunch of these. So, yeah, the first line of Spawn toys ever produced was released in 1994 uh, and consisted of six figures. We're not going into a whole Spawn history now. So, these Spawn figures hit in 1994, and the next year, because in my head, I had always blamed McFarlane Toys for G.I. Joe Extreme being so shitty. Uh, and, and But then thinking back on it, I was like, well, does that really make sense? But it was that early, so it does make sense. And uh, look, the, these aren't actually bad figures. They've got cool sculpts. Uh, well... No. No, these pretty much suck. I I don't know if this was a different toy line. If I would even consider this to be any good. Uh, they, they're just... Eh, I don't like them. I don't like them. That's kind of the end of the conversation. If you want to hear more about G.I. Joe Extreme, I am certain we'll be talking about it on a future episode of Audible Interlude uh, on our Beyond the 80s segment that has proven to be quite popular. All right, so let's move on. Oh, man, my pages are all unshrunk now. Okay, here we go. Uh, but uh, thank you. Uh, good question, Bob. That, that's, that would be something very debatable, and I think it, it might be fun to do a worst toy line of all time episode and just have a panel of uh, supposed experts. Uh, our next one's from our pal Steve Hendley. What was your favorite wrestling angle of all time? All right, I'm going to go ahead and warn you guys. Sit back, relax, because I have some reading to do here because this one is pretty involved. Well, okay, it's not that involved. It's actually pretty simple, but it, the question excited me, so I have a little more information than you might expect. So my favorite wrestling angle of all time is Raven attacking DDP on MTV Total Request Live in March of 1998. Uh, I looked around a little bit and couldn't find an exact date, but really March is all you need to know. Uh, <laughs> this, at the time, this was before WWF was having like live heat on MTV uh, I'm sure MTV had done well. Obviously, back in the '80s, the whole Cindy Lauper WrestleMania rock and wrestling thing happened, and I'm sure MTV was a bigger part of that than I'm currently thinking of right now. But in 1998, wrestling hadn't really been on MTV in a long time. I don't think. If I'm wrong, feel free to you know correct me in some format online, whatever. Uh, but I do specifically remember watching this because I knew DDP was my guy and Raven was my, like, heel guy, I guess. So when they started feuding in February, I got way into this. We were already, as a group, huge into WCW at the time. It was... I think it was our preferred brand overall during the Monday Night Wars. Uh, I've talked about this before, but I was in an apartment with a bunch of other people. And Monday nights, we recorded Raw. We sat down and we watched Nitro live every single Monday. And as soon as Nitro was over, we watched Raw. Uh, and I, I would consider us a WC... We, we love WWF, but I would consider us a WCW house. 
And Raven and DDP feuding was such a huge deal to me because Raven and the Flock were just the coolest thing. Like, take your NWO, and yeah, fine. They were crazy over, and we were invested in every angle they did. But Raven and the Flock was where it was at. Like, that, to me, was the real cool group. So Raven feuding with DDP, who had won the United States Championship from, I think, Chris Benoit, I could be wrong about that, uh, but DDP is the U.S. champ. Raven talks a little smack. They go back and forth. DDP has a special appearance on TRL, uh, and he's sitting on the couch with Dave Grohl, and I think it was Nate Mendel from the Foo Fighters. You can find this video on YouTube, uh, and it's, look, it's a little cringy because you have sort of an awkward thing where Carson Daly's doing his best to treat this like a real thing is going on. Like, I give him credit for having this on the show. I mean, I don't know. I doubt it was his decision at the time. But, like, you know, he he tries to put it over. DDP is uh, doing interview stuff and isn't peak DDP yet. Like, 2020 DDP would go on TRL, would put the angle over, would put DDP yoga over, would make everybody in the place feel like everything he said was absolutely 100% real. Like, in 1998, believe it or not, DDP, while a great talker, still wasn't quite in his comfort zone. So he's he kind of forgets that they've already made the match for Spring Stampede the next month. Uh and he keeps talking about how uh, he he had had a match with Raven that ended in a no contest. Uh, I think it was interference from the flock. Messed it up. So, so uh, he keeps saying that Raven got banged, which is not the best verbiage to be using for you know, what they're trying to get across here. But then there's this great moment in the segment where Raven cuts in. He's on, like, a television, and uh, he's cutting a promo like, why am I not on TRL? They roll out the red carpet for you, for DDP, for the food. I think he calls them the food fighters because at the time uh, they were, I think, 97 maybe when they – no, that can't be right. They were out before that. But anyway, Raven calls them the food fighters, uh, which is pretty hilarious. And – uh Damn it, now I really want to look up Foo Fighters and see when they hit. I They were around in like 95 though, right? They had to be. Boy, so much research I wasn't expecting, you guys. I apologize. Yeah, 94. That's what I thought. Uh, so anyway, 98, Raven's calling them the Food Fighters. Like they're, uh, like they're a toy. Oh, Man, I lost my page. Where were we? Okay, there we go. Um, like their toy line. And uh, he says, what about me? What about Raven? And then walks out with a stop sign, like full-size stop sign, and whacks the shit out of DDP with it from behind. Uh, Dave and Nate jump up off the couch. You know, Dave Grohl is... I, I don't. I'm sure they were expecting this to happen, but maybe they weren't expecting it to be quite as real and intense as it was. I don't know what their awareness was of professional wrestling at the time. Because look, Raven legit 
wax the shit out of DDP with this stop sign. And uh, the Foo Fighters jump up off the couch and are, to their credit, trying not to laugh. But I think that's a natural human response to over-the-top unexpected violence like that. So, And Carson Daly is treating it pretty seriously. He runs off. And then Raven walks around the couch, picks up the U.S. championship, which DDP had because he's the champ, puts it on the little coffee table, picks Paige up, and even flows him through, uh, even flow DDT uh, through the coffee table. Crunch. He says, I guess this is mine now, and walks off. And he just took the title. I loved it. I was so into this feud. I was so into this segment. It was great. Uh, so they had the Spring Stampede match, which I'm not sure if they had set the match up and Paige forgot, or if this incident set Spring Stampede up, or set the match up, and Paige wasn't supposed to mention it. Like So there was definitely miscommunication. But, man, man this was, like, to a certain extent, in the Wild West. Things were crazy. This was WCW. I'm sure they arranged this appearance, but as far as how it went down... Maybe that was entirely Paige and Raven. I don't know. Like, I can't imagine they had the kind of direction WWE would have had. Uh, so who knows how much script Paige was given. Who knows how much information he was given to convey. Who knows what he was supposed to say. But whatever the case, I love this segment. And then at Spring Stampede on April 19th, we got Raven versus Diamond Dallas Page uh, in a match for the U.S. title. Uh, there are tons and tons of crazy interference from the flock. And then we get the appearance of Horace Boulder joining the flock, who looks like a Dollar Tree Hulk Hogan. Like, and I'm not even like, that's just what he looked like. That's what we thought at the time before we even knew, uh, what he was doing. Uh, they help Raven win. Raven is the new U.S. champion. So after months and months and months of the flock doing their thing, being, as far as I was concerned, the most interesting thing on Nitro, uh, Raven finally gets that United States championship. All of all of the work, all the promos, everything he's done has, has paid off. He is the man now. He's the U.S. champion. He's beaten his nemesis, DDP. And look, yes, I, I Paige is the babyface, and I want to see him get his comeback, but this is Raven's moment. He's got that U.S. championship. And then the next night on Raw, fucking, or Raw, Nitro, fucking Goldberg beats Raven in less than five minutes to win the U.S. championship absolutely disgusting to me at the time i get it it still disgusts me what do you mean at the time i'm still disgusted by this uh i get it but you guys oh this was so disappointing to me i i was and this is why to this day i will never love goldberg as much as a lot of people love goldberg and i did eventually get on the goldberg train where it was fun to watch the guy but I will always hate the fact that he took that title off my guy, off of Raven. Oh, so upsetting to me. But uh, DDP and Raven would go on to finish their feud out uh, in a... I've got the note here. I'm going to scroll. Okay. Uh, Slamboree in May 
with a Bowery death match, which is of course a Raven special. And it was not a title match. DDP would emerge victorious. And that was kind of the end of their feud. Um, so yeah, I, I loved it. I love that feud. It's my favorite feud of all time. And that angle on TRL was, it's one of the biggest things I I've personally remember watching and experiencing in wrestling. I, I just loved it. It seemed like such a big deal. Uh, and I highly recommend you go check out the Raven com, which is Raven's personal diary of all of his matches from the time. He's got everything from, let's see if I can page back here a little bit. Uh, well, he seems to have lost his domain name. But if you look up Raven Effect, if you Google Raven Effect match results, you can still get to the pages. And he's got pretty detailed notes on all of his matches from that era. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, all right. Moving on. Adam Pewitt. What was the first horror movie you remember seeing? Did that have an impact on you, or did your love for horror come later? Uh, I, you know, honestly, the first horror I remember watching was, and I've talked about this before, the late night horror show in Wilmington, North Carolina, like whatever they got Saturday nights there. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, my granny and I would, would go out on the, they, they had a carport that had been converted into a, a sort of, uh, den playroom, TV room, whatever. Uh, my granny and I would go out there and we would watch, whatever the late night horror show was, there was a lot of hammer horror. I've pieced together over the years that I saw a lot of hammer horror movies there. Um, so that was, that was my first experience with horror. And that was absolutely what made me love it. My first specific horror movie memory came from USA Network, and I've mentioned this before as well, Commander USA's Groovy Movies came on, I think it was Sunday afternoons, but it, I, I, I watched it every single weekend. That was my go-to. I want to say I came home and watched it after church, but it's it also might have been on Saturday mornings after the Saturday morning cartoons ended, so I'll, I'd have to go back and look that up, but it's not really important, so I'm not going to do it now. But there is a movie, a TV movie, made in 1977 called Ants, with an exclamation point. So you have to say it like, Ants! And I vividly remember, obviously it's one of those, you know, killer nature bug disaster type things. Uh, the first thing that is crystal clear in my memory is a moment of horror inspired by a movie that was intended to be a horror movie. I'm not talking about E.T. here, which is the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, in Ants, there is a scene, and Ants is about, it's the, the, whatever those horrible ants are, they've made a couple of different movies about them that just eat everything, uh, and people have to like dig moats and shit and whatever, uh, like that was a thing. Maratumbe ants? That just popped into my head for some reason. I think they might be Maratumbe ants. That might be wrong, too. I don't know. But anyway, 
these ants are attacking this family's resort that's like kind of struggling and they're trying to figure out what to do about the ants. I don't remember a ton about the movie, but I crystal clear remember a kid, for whatever reason, jumping into a dumpster. I don't know if maybe somebody threw his donut in there or something. I don't know. But he jumps into a dumpster and then like a second later jumps out screaming bloody murder covered in ants covered covered in ants real life kid real life ants jumps out of the dumpster screaming like my skin is crawling right now envisioning this and then jumps into the pool uh it's one of the earliest visual memories like that that i have it disturbs me to this day uh it it's possibly the source of my intense discomfort with insects of any kind uh but that that's definitely an intense horror memory uh but it didn't make me stop wanting to watch things that made me scared i just that that's the first specific movie memory like i can pinpoint what the movie was and what the scene was that i remember watching uh, and then later on of course i would get in uh, my buddy wayne i've mentioned him before uh we'd all go over to his house and watch all the horror movies so that was that was a, a different uh level of horror enjoyment uh all right let's see sip of water and let's move on okay i've got two let's see here Bobby Nash, award-winning Bobby Nash, who, uh, if everything works out, will be on next week's episode of the Needless Things podcast. What good binge-worthy TV have you discovered or rediscovered recently? And this is the perfect time uh, to get this question because this past weekend, we kind of decided, you know what? We're not doing anything. We're going to veg out. We're going to sit here on this comfortable recliner sofa and just watch stuff. So I've got a couple from that, and then I've got a couple... uh, I always have two specific sort of streaming things going on. I'll have one show that is engaging enough that I can sit and watch it while I'm like eating lunch or breakfast or whatever, and then leave it on while I'm doing stuff down here in the Phantom Zone. And then I'll have another thing that I watch while I'm going to sleep. So, right now, my my big streaming thing is Thundercats, the original 1985 Thundercats. I've been watching all of those and really thoroughly enjoying them in a way that I didn't even when I was a kid. Because for me to be as engaged with something as I am with, for example, G.I. Joe, uh, I've got to have that toy connection. And with Thundercats, I only had a couple. I had Mumra and Lion-O, and I believe that I might have had Panthro. I'm pretty sure I had Panthro as well, but that that's it. I, I didn't, because I've mentioned before on the show, my parents were wanted me to focus on sort of one thing. So, you know, Mego to Star Wars to G.I. Joe to Ninja Turtles, and then, you know, by that time, I, I get a job, and I'm buying my own toys, and so my parents don't have a say anymore. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't think they even bought me any Ninja Turtles ever because by the time I was into Ninja Turtles, they were like, why are you still buying toys? Uh, but that that's kind of my mainline toy history uh, with a few things here and there on the side, but they always encouraged me to stick to one thing. Uh, 
so Thundercats, I loved the cartoon. I watched it every single day. I'm sure I watched every single episode. I was definitely engaged with it, but I only had a few of the toys, and they weren't a scale that went with anything else that I had. So they were kind of these outliers. So now, watching Thundercats again with a fresh perspective, it's most of it. There's some episodes here and there where the animation isn't as good, which is really bizarre, and I haven't looked into that yet because I'm planning on doing a full Thundercats episode at some point, uh, and I'll do my research then. But overall, the best animation of any 80s cartoon, I think. Incredible music incredible character design every character that comes on the screen looks great and what I really like is we meet characters on third earth and they're not just one and dones like we they become part of the show they come back every few episodes every once in a while uh, we get the warrior women we got uh was Mandora I think her name is the space cop um so it's it's great. It's a great mythology, great animation. And as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to move on and watch the 2011, I think, uh, Thundercats show, which I, I never saw all of because it jumped around so much. Uh, and then my evening watching is Frasier. I'm just going back and watching Frasier over again, uh, probably for the third or fourth time. I, I like Frasier. Uh, as far as other things, Cobra Kai. We watched both seasons of that in the space of like two days. And it's incredible. Great storytelling, great acting. Um, you know, Martin Martin Zabka, I think. Is it Martin or William? Gosh, you guys, I am so sorry for my lack of top-of-my-head knowledge that's going on today. Yeah, Martin Zabka. Stop doubting yourself, Dave. Um, so Martin Zabka is great. Everybody talks about him. Oh, gosh, maybe it's not Martin. It is William Zabka. Darn it. Also known as Billy Zabka. I wouldn't call him Billy. I'd call him Mr. Zabka. Um, so everybody talks about him and how great he is on the show, and he's great. But Ralph Macchio is also great. And I think because he's sort of that goody two-shoes, a little annoying, kind of screwing things up by trying to do things the right way guy, that as a character he's not as appealing but he's really doing some strong acting on that show as well. Everybody on the show is great. Uh, my wife and I really, really like uh, Mrs. LaRusso. Uh, she's, she kind of grounds the whole thing in a way. And not not as, uh, that is uh, Courtney Hengler as Amanda LaRusso. Oh, no, wait, that's the, uh, that's the daughter who's Mary Mouser. No, that can't be right. I can't remember which one is Samantha and which one is Amanda. Stop naming people similar things. I need to stop saying things that I'm going to have to verify. This is not helpful, Wikipedia. Amanda LaRusso is Daniel's wife. Okay, so Amanda. So I was right the first time. It is Courtney Hengler. Uh, she sort of grounds the the whole show because she said it says stuff like you and you and your little friends karate feud from the eighties, like stuff like that. 
she lets us accept what's going on by pointing out the absurdity of it in a weird way. And I'm sure there's a phrase for uh, that character. And I'm not going to look it up because I have I have looked up enough stuff uh, today. I, I don't want to bore you guys with more internet clicking. But the show's fantastic. The storytelling is amazing. The way that they set things up and then pay them off is great. They've been setting uh, The Return of Allie up for two seasons now. And it looks like we're going to possibly see her in season three. So things like that, uh, they, it's, it's just a tight, solid, fun show that would be a comedy if it weren't for the heaviness of some of the drama. It's really amazing, the, the balancing act, and, and everything comes back to balance, I think. But, uh, well, the show itself is about balance, because Daniel has to balance his work life with this karate thing that he wants to do. Johnny has to balance uh, his sort of crude nature with his desire to be a better person. Sip of water, I'm really drying out because we're getting to the end of our hour. So I've only got a couple more questions here uh, that I'm going to get to this time around. Um, But yeah, Cobra Kai is fantastic. Highly recommended. We had a great time watching it. I cannot wait for the confirmed uh, season three, which I was very concerned about that. Like as it was coming around, uh, and, and I am not willing to look up anything while we're watching it because I'm so paranoid about spoilers, but my wife is a little different. So she'll, she'll just look stuff up and she already knew there was going to be a third season that's apparently they're already done filming. So it's coming sometime next year and I, I can't wait. Uh, all right. Moving on. Oh, no, wait. I got to mention two more things. Outer Limits, the 1995 series. Uh, we had a lot of fun watching those. Some are some are very, very good. Some are dull. Uh, and then Ray Bradbury Theater, which we watched a few episodes of. Those are both on Amazon Prime. And I recommend you go check them out. Uh, they're, those looks back. Uh, Ray Bradbury Theater, Theater was 88. Uh, Outer Limits was 95. So you get to see these actors. Uh, Michael Ironside is in the very first Ray, Ray Bradbury Theater episode, uh, The Fruit at the Bottom of the Bowl. It's it's great. It's so much fun. He's a little over the top, a little weird. Uh, it's really great to watch. And then Outer Limits, you could see all these actors that went on in the late 90s and 2000s to do all this other sci-fi stuff. Uh, just re- really fun watching those old shows. you, you got to take the effects and stuff you know, for what they are. But lots of fun. I recommend... Uh, Cobra Kai, Outer Limits, Ray, Brad- Ray Bradbury Theater, Thundercats, and Frasier. Those are my recommendations for streaming for this month. Uh, we'll take a couple more in, in here since I spent so much time on uh, some of the earlier questions. Uh, Gary Mitchell, you recently rewatched The Fog and enjoyed it when you hadn't before. What other movies have you had this happen with? Uh, I've talked about this a lot on the show. Some of my favorite movies were ones that I I didn't get at first or didn't click for me at first. My favorite movie of all time is Big Trouble in Little China, which I did not like the first time I saw it. Uh, Probably one of those Wayne's House movie nights. Um, But for for one that I haven't talked about before, Step Brothers. (laughs) I, with uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, that movie... I just thought it was a piece of shit the first time I saw it. I, I don't know why, because now, if it's on, I'm going to watch it. Like, if I click past it, now I'm, I'm going to go grab the 
I think it's DVD. I don't think we got it on Blu-ray. I'll go grab the DVD and put it in and watch it. I'm not going to watch it with commercials like some kind of savage. But uh, I just thought that movie was just dumb as shit the first time I watched it. And, and I don't know what my problem was, but now I love it. It's incredible. Uh, I didn't like Alien at first because... I watched, and and again, this goes back to those early horror movie nights at Wayne's. Uh, We had watched Aliens. We had watched the sequel first, and it's it's an action movie. It's it's got scary parts, but it's an action movie. So to go back and watch Alien after that, and and having a young mind that's more action oriented and less worried about character work and and tone and intensity, uh, and you know now obviously alien is a much better film i love aliens don't get me wrong but alien is is a perfect movie uh it's it's up there on the list of perfect movies but at the time i didn't think that i thought it was kind of boring and there's only one what week uh we've talked at length about friday the 13th part 5 and halloween 3 and uh one more uh, robocop 2 i hated at first, because it obviously does not capture the tone uh, or the style of the first one at all. You, you cannot take Paul Verhoeven out of the equation and expect to get a satisfying product. But now, given some distance and some time, uh, I can enjoy it for all that it encompasses from the era that it was created in. So it it's almost like it's as much a satire as RoboCop, but in a different and unintentional way, if that makes sense. If you haven't watched RoboCop 2 recently, go and watch it sort of with different eyes, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and then there are lots of movies I used to like but don't now, but that's not the question that was asked, so I'm not going to get into that. Uh, let's see, Arian, which movie that has been delayed this year are you most anticipating? And what what torture this is. Uh, obviously, there are things going on in the world that are much more serious than movies being delayed. But we talk about movies, music, toys, pop culture on this show. So that's all we're going to discuss. Uh, the New Mutants was my most anticipated movie of the year. It, it is the one that I wanted to see. It's still the one I'm most excited about. And the fact that it got released to theaters, I am not going to a theater. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not taking that chance. We we have another, well, this time a family member who has been uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. She didn't even go to a movie theater, but she's got it. So I'm not taking that chance. I'm not putting my family, my friends, my coworkers at risk by doing something like going to see a movie. Like of all the irresponsibly audacious things you could possibly do in this environment, going to see a movie, you're a jackass. Uh, and putting this movie in theaters is just a, a shit move. I think it's unacceptable. Um, and look, I don't want theaters to die and I'm afraid they're going to, I don't want the movie theater experience to go away when this is all said and done. And I'm afraid it might, but I also don't want to risk people catching uh, a potentially lethal disease, uh, virus. So anyway, 
I want to see New Mutant so freaking bad. I'm so annoyed that it wasn't released to streaming in the way that other movies have been. Uh, but I understand there's contract stuff that made that the case. Uh, I just think it was kind of shitty of Disney to say, well, we're, we'll release it as an experiment. Uh, an experiment on public health. Uh, I'm not down with that. But I, I want to see this movie. I, I really, really want to see it as soon as it's available to stream. Uh, I don't know that I'll pay 30 bucks to watch it, Mulan. But uh, I definitely want to see it as soon as possible. And that's, that's the other thing is I read that it's going to HBO Max, which is really annoying because HBO Max still isn't available via Amazon or Roku. Uh, Because I had subscribed to HBO Max and then found out I could only watch it down here on the PlayStation, which makes it not practical. So I canceled uh, so we don't have that. So HBO needs to get their shit together and make some deals for people to be able to watch their service on the most popular streaming devices in the freaking country. Uh, All right. Anyway, that was enough of that. Uh, Robert McIntyre, this is a quick one. Do you think a time will ever come when you decide to stop buying toys? Robert. Robert. No. No, barring catastrophe, no. I don't see my interest in toys ever dwindling in in any way. Uh, I, I I will be a collector until I'm in the grave. And then I will be buried with all of my stuff uh let's see too long too long uh i want to i want to end on a good one uh brad ladner it would seem that serpentor being made from various old strands of dna would have died quickly from not being immune to many various strands of cold and flu which occurred and created antibodies in the man people that existed after the time of his genetic forefathers right uh let me let me parse this down a little bit so uh serpentor is made up of people who existed before we had the vaccines and or antibodies to fight off like we have a lot of natural immunities to things that would have killed people back in the day is what he's suggesting that serpentor doesn't have those uh c- come on buddy i'm pretty sure dr mindbender with the psychic influence of cobra law would have thought of that let's 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 try a little harder my dude Uh, All right, last question. We have, uh, I'm going to save a couple of these for next time. Uh, Ryan Schweck, our head of research, who's probably going to have a better answer to whatever his question is than I will, but that's okay. The announcement of Keaton coming back as Batman in the Flash movie has made it clear that the DCEU plans to continue with the CW versus Multiverse. Uh, by which he means that the multiverse was supposedly collapsed, but th- but we all know right afterwards they showed, um, what is it, uh, Doom Patrol, which takes place in a different multiverse. Uh, they showed Stargirl, which is a different multiverse. Like they like as soon as they collapsed it down to one reality, they came right back and said, "Oh, never mind, they're still out there." But anyway. With this, it opens up a lot of possibilities and allows them to be more uh, flexible with actors leaving, movies not being as well-received, etc., than Marvel is with their one overarching continuity. Although Strange 2 could change this, I guess. The downside is that I think Marvel has seen the success they have with some of their lower-tier heroes because it feels like each part of the story is needed, whereas DC, you may be able to skip some. 
Also, while the CW-verse has been successful, I'm not sure your average moviegoer wants to keep up with which universe is which. I thought the idea of DC just doing some great standalone superhero movies was a great idea, but they seem to be backing off of that. I guess my real question is, why don't they just go ahead and do a line-for-line adaptation of All-Star Batman, which would obviously be the best movie ever made? Uh, I'm sure they will do this. I would be up for that, but only if Zack Snyder is completely in charge and it goes straight to HBO Max. Uh, All right. That wraps it up, and actually that question was the perfect ending because that is a great segue into next week's episode. But you will have to tune in next week to find out exactly what that episode is going to be. Whoo, what a ride that was. Uh, I've got a couple of questions for whenever I end up having to do another Q&A saved back, so if I did not get to your question... Uh, Just hang in there. I will get to it at some point. I promise. Uh, Arian last month asked a question about why yoga makes you fart. I highly recommend everybody uh, Google yoga farts. It's an entertaining read. And there is a, there, there is science behind that. And if you don't believe in science, then well, I, it's because the uh, yoga demons crawl into your butt while you're doing yoga and their presence displaces your your farts, and, and that's what makes you fart while you're doing yoga. It's yoga demons. Um, you guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with the Needless Things podcast for this past six years. And if you haven't gone back and listened to older episodes, do it. There's some great old stuff in there. Lots of interviews with bands, uh, creators, puppeteers, all kinds of great stuff. Live Dragon Con panels. Uh, I highly recommend you go back and check out the archives. It's all available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Um, check out that Needless Things YouTube channel. I'm really proud of the toy reviews I'm putting up there. I really enjoy doing that and uh, would love to see that grow a little bit. So like, share, subscribe. My son tells you or tells me that I am supposed to tell you to ring the bell which is something about you getting a notification every time I post a YouTube video. I don't like that. I don't want a notification every time somebody I'm following posts a YouTube video. I I sit down and watch them when I have the time. I'm not going to be like driving in my car and see a new video from Spector Creative pop up and pull over and watch it. I watch these things on my own time, and I expect you to do the same. So I, I don't need that. I love you guys. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.